Welcome to Carrots and Suffering, a D&D Odyssey. This is episode two, and we are in the build-up, feeling each other out, establishing a table dynamic, all that good stuff. You might be wondering, how can I support this creative process? You could tell a friend about us, or leave us a rating and review. We don't advertise, so help me, Obi-Wan Kenobi, you are my only hope. Palmville, by the way, is inspired by the work of Richard Baker. Richard published The Cleric's Challenge in the early 90s. All right, let's get into it fast today. Last time on Carriage and Suffering. Our heroes were introduced to their new employer and the competition, a classic foil of D&D characters and a bewildering set of old men as possible party patrons. You see a young, about 20-year-old human woman with pale skin and long black hair and very dark clothes stand up and toss her hair over her shoulder a little bit. She also has a rainbow glittery heart-shaped wand on her belt that sticks out like a sore thumb over her outfit. And she'll say, hey, I'm Creedon. It's nice to meet you. What was it? Max and Dread? Dread nods and Max looks tough. <laughs> cool. Boulain does not stand. She stays seated. She is a drow. So she has slate gray skin and very thick, long, white hair that she keeps in a loose braid. And she has two different colored eyes. One eye is yellow and one eye is orange. And she says, my name is Boulaine, and doesn't say anything else. The large human stands up, his head haloed by a double-bladed axe with the scales of justice etched into the blade. I am Zerus Avokar, the Sister of Truth, and he sits down. Our heroes were offered four jobs, and they chose one where they retrieve a saint's holy relic, the Rod of Astra, from the tiny town of Palmville. I say we go for the relic. Seems, seems like the least work. It's also better for travel. The trouble in Highlock will be requiring us to go through Palmville anyway. Yeah, true. So you want to take two jobs? What a go-getter. <laughs> We're gonna... Our heroes had a brief stop at the inn in Sternheim before heading on their way to Palmville and narrowly avoid trouble in a few different forms. <laughs> Hi, Saritha. I'm Zerus, and, and I just arrived in town. Oh, good. Good, good. I, I, I love to meet new people. Say... It's kind of musky smelling in here. Do you smell that? <laughs> As you arrived, I did. Cool. Oh. Cyrus, wave your arms. It makes you look bigger. More intimidating. <laughs> I think I read that in a book. <laughs> Is there... Like, can I get a count? How many people can I see? There's two more, actually. There's a total of six. There are four milling about on one side of the road, and two have taken up positions in trees. And just as we ended, our heroes ran into their first horror from the thorns. It's about a hundred yards away from you now, but it's definitely big. It looks like an elk almost, except that it has lots of extra legs. It's an elkipede. Oh, what the hell is that? <laughs> Oh my god, 
you guys are so loud. You start to slip along, and you're actually, it, you're pretty quiet, all things considered. But you start to hear a sniffing, and you, you turn around, and you definitely see this thing is on your trail. Mm. And it is following you up the road, and it is moving faster than you are moving because you are sneaking. Belaine is going to cast the Dancing Lights cantrip off to the side of the road, hoping that it will distract it enough. Okay, that's distracting. I'm going to go ahead and roll our critter in question. Reach for my bag of dice here. A little bit of an intelligence saving throw versus your illusion. What is your spell save DC? 12. Okay. Well, it's a dummy. <laughs> it's a dumb elkipede. So this creature rears up, and you see its elk head shift as its mouth almost unhinges and opens, revealing shark-like rows of teeth <sighs> and ferocious red eyes as it charges your lights and starts tearing apart the, the ground near them. But you have time to maybe go away. We should go. <laughs> yeah, let's go. Let's stop seeing it. Let's just go. Agreed. So this critter, we're going to give him a little bit. After a couple seconds, it sort of figures out this is not food, and it is not going to be able to eat it. At which point it gives itself a charge in your direction. Now, you have moved further down the road, 60, 70 feet. You can hear it as it loses interest in this and turns to come this direction, so you have plenty of time to react. This thing is coming toward you. What would you like to do? Can I ready an Eldritch Blast for when it's within 120 feet? Yes. I will step forward if Creedon looks like they're preparing. I will step forward in front of them 10 paces. Okay. Bulane, anything up your sleeve? Yes. She will prepare, seeing that Creedon is getting something ready and also Zerus is getting ready to do something, she's going to prepare to cast Toll the Dead. I mean, if you guys think that we should run, we can run. Just, I imagine that with its 18 legs, it can run faster than us. This thing is probably going to catch us if we try to run. It's real fast. Hiding could have worked, but it it's charging. Yeah, and it's at least part predator, so it would probably really love it if we tried to run. So. so this thing charges, and it's hissing at you. It quickly gets into 120 feet, so let's see that Eldritch Blast. All right. Uh, I had scrolled down. Where is it? 10. That's a D8. I have so many dice, and somehow I can never find the one that I want. There's so Oh, God. Oh, I need to roll to hit. Of course. Oh no, I got a two. Which is a seven total. Okay, it blasts around this creature as it dances across this ground on probably, you think, maybe twelve legs? Yeah, this big magenta heart bursts out of my, my wand <laughs> and just whizzes <laughs> off to the side of it. Mandy, Boulain, it gets into your Toll of the Dead range. It rolls a saving throw against you, yeah. I believe. Yep. Well, wisdom save. Totally fails. Oh, cool. So, D8 damage. <laughs> Two. Two. Okay. It gets a little bit of a nosebleed. <laughs> toll the Dead comes with this baleful bell toll. <laughs> mm -hmm. And then his nose starts bleeding. Yeah. Robert, it is charging up towards you. Would you like to meet it? Yes. Okay. Please make your attack. I would rather go defensive. Very well. It is charging you. 
we will give it disadvantage because you're ready for it. It is going to... The best it's going to come up with is a 13 to hit. 14 is my AC. Okay. This huge stag of Elkhorns swings at you as it charges, and you are able to easily sidestep them. And this thing spins around, and we are going to go back to Claire. Okay. Are we not rolling initiative, or are we just doing this order? Well, there's only one monster, so I'm just going to keep us in order. How far away is it from me now? Is it within 90 feet? Yes, very much so. Okay, I want to cast Hex, which is a bonus action, on it. Okay. And it doesn't look like I have to roll to hit it, and I don't think there's a save either. It's just concentration. Nope. You just cast it. And then I want to use my action to try to Eldritch Blast. Okay. That looks a little bit better. That's a 19 to hit. That hits. And it'll be... Oh god, I keep on rolling really shit on my d10. That's only one force damage, but an extra five necrotic damage because of the hex. Okay. You pelt it. It makes a weird chittering noise with its mouth. It is disconcerting. Oh, wait. Also, when I cast the Hex, I get to choose an ability when I cast the spell, and the target has disadvantage on ability checks. I'll make it de- dexterity checks? Okay. I don't know what you guys use yet, so we'll learn. Uh, we'll see. Boolean, what do you got up your sleeve? Now that it has taken damage, she is going to cast Toll of the Dead again. Okay. It's going to roll a wisdom saving throw. This time it succeeds. It will take no damage. Poop. I rolled better. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He rolled a nine. <laughs> Zerus, what's up? Yeah, I'll go ahead and I'll get Furious and attack. Okay. Poorly. My score is probably a six. Mm, six is not going to cut it. No, it is not. No, it's seven, but no. This creature spins its butt around to face you in all of this mess. Please give me a reflex save as webbing rockets out of its back end. <laughs> 10. So it's a spider shark elk. <laughs> yeah. 10. The DC was 12. So you are covered in webs. You are considered restrained. You have disadvantage on future attack rolls. You can use a strength check DC 12 to break out of it, with your, but that is an action. Fair enough. That's its turn, though. That brings us to Claire. Claire, this thing has begun to wrap Zerus in webs. Mm. I don't know if there's anything I can do about that. I can't, like, hit those with an Eldritch Blast, can I? I think I'm just going to hit it. <laughs> yeah, that's probably a fair bet. I'll level one Warlock. I've got kind of one one thing I do. One thing, yep. That's a 17. That'll hit. And that will be... Oh my god, I keep on rolling minimum damage on my D10. That breaks my heart. At least you're hitting it. <laughs> one force damage. And mm-hmm. then I'm glad I hexed it. Five necrotic damage. Yeah, it seems to be actually getting injured now at this point. Boulain. Boulain is going to... Uh, how badly is it hurt now? It has been injured. It has been injured. Okay, but still, still going strong. All right, she's going to do it again. Told the dead. Third time's a charm. Okay, it rolls a wisdom saving throw and succeeds. Fuck! <laughs> level one's the best level. You said it was dumb. <laughs> it is dumb. It just also rolls Low well. Low in, high um, whiz? 
Robert, Zerus has been quasi-wrapped in webbing, but this thing is still next to you as it's trying to wrap you up. Yeah, I'm, I'm actually going to attack it with disadvantage. Please do. 11 is my lowest roll. 11 will hit. Rolling a 3. That damage is... 8 damage. Okay, you smack it really hard. It spins and starts to run away with its turn. Now, the webbing is still attached to it. Oh, no. So, Robert, I need you to give me a strength check. Or athletics, actually. Can I take an attack of opportunity also? You may, yes. Also a disadvantage, though. Yeah, which one first? Uh, Let's do the attack of opportunity first. A 14 and a 5. 5 will be a score of 10. A 10 will miss. All right. Strength check. I have advantage on this because I'm raging. Okay. That's a 16 and a 19. Okay. So I have scored a 24. Okay. It only gets a 16, so this thing turns and starts to run. You can feel the web's pull, and it is clearly trying to pull you off of your feet and drag you back towards the thorns as it runs away. But you plant your feet, and the web snaps. Can I pull it back towards me instead? Yeah, let's go ahead and... You won that contest. I will let you choose one of two outcomes. You can stop its progress, and it will be stuck next to you. Or the webbing snaps and it will run away. The first one. Okay. It rears up and starts to pull, and then it's just not making any progress. Claire, you are next. Okay. Is Zerus still in web? Yes. He's still stuck. Okay. My feat that I took is telekinetic, and as a bonus action, I can shove a creature five feet. They make a save, but they can willingly fail it. If I do that, can I push him out of the web? Let's see. I know this is a big if, so, you know. <laughs> I mean, yes, but I think you would have to attack Xeris to pull this off. Okay. Okay, I will just hit it with an Eldritch Blast. Okay. I could do Eldritch Blast and also that as a bonus section, but I don't want to hurt Xeris. That is a 19 to hit. That definitely hits. Oh my god, I got a third one in a row on my D10. Wow. <sighs> this one's going to jail. <laughs> one force damage and six necrotic damage. Okay, yeah. I mean, this thing is starting to look really injured, and it's it's starting to panic. It can't detach its own webbing. Boulain. All right. Boulain is getting frustrated that it's evading her cantrip, and so she is going to cast Inflict Wounds on this thing. Damn, son. Get it. She will get a 16. Yeah. Roll your damage. 9, 10, 11, 12. Bitch mad now. <laughs> so, what does this look like when you brutally <laughs> melt All this right, thing? So she casts a spell and gashes just open up all over its body, and Icar just starts oozing out of everywhere. If, if it's still next to Zerus, Zerus is now covered in gore. Sorry, <laughs> but gashes just open up all over the place. Yeah, it's just getting ripped apart, and then it falls down on its many, many knees and dies. Oh, Boulain, that was awesome. <laughs> I'll run up to uh, Zerus. Turns and looks at you. She says, I do not know what to do with that praise. And then she gets out a knife and starts cutting the web yeah, off of Zerus. I was about to also go help. <laughs> we'll just both be sitting there chopping I, away at him. I guess, I guess my next action is to break the web. 
Yeah, you actually won't have any problem because now there's not really a thing contesting you. So you can get out of the web. It's pretty dead, yeah. It's got weird meat textures running through it, sort of like a lobster met an elk. <laughs> can I take some of its antlers because I think that they would make a cool headdress? Oh, they're huge, oh, but yes, you can. I don't <laughs> I don't think I could. Elaine says you may have the antlers, but you have to carry them. Uh, uh, I don't want them that bad. I'll, I'll find a smaller one. You could take one of the shark teeth. Oh, that's pretty cool. Yeah, I'll <laughs> pull out a couple teeth. Why would you want a token of this foul beast? Some people because like trophies. It's less of a trophy and more fashion. Fashion. Creedence a millennial. She needs a participation trophy. <laughs> Creedence is a trend-setting hipster. <laughs> mm -hmm. Creedence, do give me a survival roll here to collect your trophy. I mean, you know that Max and Dredd are gonna think it's cool as hell when I have like teeth in my hair. <laughs> oh, ah, dropping my dice. Lane, it puts a hand on Zerus's arm and says, "She is trying to impress the boys." I don't understand why you would try and impress those particular individuals. <laughs> 14. Because they're 14. cool and I need to be cooler than them. Okay? Hmm. You can get some teeth successfully without cutting up your hands. <laughs> While this is happening, I'm wiping myself down with bedroll mm -hmm. or something. Yeah. I also wipe my hands off on you after I'm cutting the <laughs> teeth out. So, nighttime comes, you are still on the road. You should reach Palmville mid-morning tomorrow. Any particular nighttime plans? I mean, do we want to stop and camp, or are we just going to push through? How close are we to the coast on the left? Running down this side of the continent is actually more mountains than coast. Okay. What's the terrain like a mile to our left? Away from the thorns? Yes. Hilly. Scrub. Scrub brush and hills. I do think that we should head maybe half a mile or so in the forest away from the thorns prior to setting up camp. All right. Oh, camp. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I could use a rest. All right. You give it another 15 minutes walk off the path eastward. Go ahead and give me a survival roll. Robert, you said you've taken the lead. You make the roll. That's a one. Oh, no. Okay. Oh, shit. <laughs> so you could pick a nice spot down in the middle of a valley it seems seems great heading to sleep then i would yeah. be yeah i'll do watches okay Boulaine can do a watch she only needs four hours to get a long rest so she can all also right, do a watch do you want first or second watch i will go first all right i'll go to bed okay Boulaine, i need a perception roll from you for your night of watch 17 Finally, a good roll. 17. All right, so you are on watch when you hear something in the distance. It's like snapping branches. It seems to be coming from the mountainside instead of the thorn side. She has a crossbow out ready to shoot at something if it threatens us. Okay, yeah. The snapping twigs continue. Is this at least an hour after we it set down? It is at down? least an hour okay, after, cool. yes. The, the snapping twigs continue. It, it seems to be coming in your direction. Okay, she does have dark vision. Yeah. Okay. It'll get into your dark vision range pretty quickly. You sense... It's a little hard to make out. It's sort of a blobish 
in the dark, but your dark vision, you, you think it's avian, only it's walking. Hmm. Big chicken. Big chicken. <laughs> well, T-Rexes are kind of avian, too. So. <laughs> <laughs> she would not have wanted a fire, so we're in the dark. Can she tell whether it can see us? No, it doesn't seem to... It's not giving off any kind of indication that it cares about you. Mm. It's sizable, though. If it comes within 60 feet of us, she'll do something else. But I think she's going she's gonna to try the dancing lights trick again and see what happens. You bounce some lights up in the distance. It doesn't seem to sense them. Okay. Continues wandering towards your camp. Possibly can't see. Okay. She's going to shake Zerus awake. <laughs> Just leave me asleep. <laughs> I need my beauty sleep. I think she sees you as a as a child too. <laughs> I'm over there like <laughs> to babysit, <laughs> like you know, if, if the grown ups can handle this. <laughs> Something going on. She's gonna shake him awake and put a finger over his lips so he doesn't say anything, and then she's going to point to the giant chicken, owl, ostrich, whatever it is. <laughs> Do I see anything? Yeah, so it's dark, but you can kind of see, since you're looking up from the ground, it's silhouetted a little bit, like the night isn't completely dark. Mm. It definitely has the outline of a large bird, pheasant-like in nature, but it's still about 60 feet away, but it is slowly meandering towards you. I'll just sit up, hold my axe, and watch it. Wandering into your camp comes a pheasant but as it gets closer there's definitely something wrong with it for starters this pheasant is probably the size of an ostrich so it's quite large and coming out of its chest seems to be the head of a python or oh, a cobra maybe oh my god <laughs> but it's just sort of slowly scratching at the ground the snake heads pulls back and forth the tongue zips out and the chicken pheasant head doesn't seem to work. Like, it just is. Hmm. The snake part is in charge. It would seem that way. And it's just walking through the camp? Yeah, just, just letting it moseying on through, sniffing the air with its tongue. So Bulane has the crossbow ready, but she's more of a I'll-leave-it-alone-if-it-leaves-us-alone sort. She's not bloodthirsty. So, Boulain or Zerus or Creedon, which one of you is warmer? Probably not me. Not in scale mail. I think it's going to be Creedon wrapped up in her her blankets. I definitely have a lot of blankets. This giant pheasant walks right up to Creedon's bedroll and then just sits on her. (laughs) That is is definitely where I'll... I will I will move to attack it. I mean honestly. Okay. Please do. Did you fall asleep? What the hell? <laughs> it just wants to snuggle, Creed. Okay. Nat twenty. Crits are roll damage twice, is that right? Add once? Yes. Okay. Three. Roll roll the damage dice twice. Five. Wow. <laughs> Low rolls for damage. Eight damage total. It happens. So you smack this thing, and it it begins to just cluck like a chicken, and it 
flaps up and there's wings and feathers going everywhere. <laughs> and this thing just runs screaming out of the camp. And Dulane says, huh, Creedon, are you all right? <laughs> I am looking at you with a death glare. <laughs> Actually, the same question I had last time. Do I get an attack of opportunity? You do, yeah, if you'd like one. Let's see what we get here. 19 to hit. Yep. And that is a 14 damage. Okay. 22 damage is sufficient. So this thing is basically a large pheasant. You clop it, and it goes down and just rolls to a stop. Dulane inspects Creedon to make sure she didn't get smushed anywhere. I want to inspect the pheasant. Probably makes good eating. So it seems to have grown a second snakehead out of its chest and swelled in size considerably. So it looks natural, not intervened. Yeah, no one stitched a snakehead to it. It appears to have become this. I drag it 20, 30 yards out of camp and come back. Yeah. So the rest of your night is uneventful. However, aside from the fact that you set up in a ch ch oversized chicken nest, it doesn't go too bad for you. Your rest, however, was pretty interrupted. I definitely don't sleep anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Something tried to hatch you, Claire. I look like shit in the morning. <laughs> My hair's like all over. It is not fair to say you got a complete long rest. Mm. But I'm not going to give you a level exhaustion. You got some sleep. All right. Did Bulane get her four-hour trance time? You can get your four hours for trance, yeah. It happened while you were on watch, which would mean that you would have gotten your four hours, yeah. Those of you who needed sleep, sleep did not get your spells back. Fair I spent the entire night making grumpy faces at Bulane. <laughs> who passed out and didn't notice. <laughs> I try to sleep, but I'm sure from there on, every noise or a little mm -hmm. disturbance pops me out of it. You arrive at the town of Palmville pretty early in the morning, assuming you get a pretty early start. And Palmville is a sleepy town, if you will. It has not been barricaded for whatever reason. You do see an active militia. They're wearing church symbols, so you'd probably describe them as paladins. They seem to be trained. They seem to be patrolling around Palmville towards the Thorns. But Palmville is basically a nice, sleepy little town. It's got a big church. An old lord's manor is up on the side. You imagine that's now the administrative building, because that tends to be what happens in these places. And there's a big inn. But Palmville has a few noteworthy things inside of it. So there's a Cartwright's building, there's a general store, there's a smithy, there's a tanner, there's a silversmith, there's a bunch of small towns, small huts, there's a big shrine dedicated to the Ten Gods. The other thing that's really interesting is there is a massive cemetery, a really well-kept, beautiful green lawn cemetery that wraps around two-thirds of the city. Cool. Elaine <laughs> will nod in appreciation at the cemetery. She appreciates a good, well-kept place. I'll go hang out in it if we have downtime. <laughs> Do we have the name of who we're supposed to go ask about this relic? So you'll recall that the request for the relic came not from Palmville, 
Palmville ignored the request. Right. So the name you have on the piece of paper isn't someone who's in this village at all. But you do know that the mayor is known as Thinius. Bulane will say, well, the administration building seems like the most likely place to find the mayor. So we should start there. So you said there was a shrine and yes. a temple. Yep. And I assume the temple is to the Whispering One. The temple is to Whispering Shepherd, God of Life and Farming. Yeah, sorry. Right, excuse me. Wrong game. <laughs> Too much TV. Whispering Shepherd. That's what I meant. Yeah. And there's a shrine that reflects all ten gods, but the temple itself is dedicated to the God of Harvests, basically. When we were sent this way, we were told to visit a temple of the Radiant One, yes? Astra was a paladin from the Radiant One's temple, mm. and that is where the rod is going. I see. When this is over. I see. Yeah, so we should start with the mayor then. So you head over to this Lord's Manor. It's a big stone building. As you get up there, part of it's been converted into a small living quarters for the mayor, and the rest of it is an open administrative building. It used to be, obviously, a grand palace for a lord's family. But as you walk in, it's been humbled down a lot. It's clearly a church bureaucratic building now. As you step in, a priestess comes wandering up. She is about 55 years old. She's wearing basically a gardening outfit. The only thing that gives it away is she has a whispering shepherd cornucopia pendant that you assume is a holy symbol as she approaches. And says, oh, we weren't expecting the trade caravan until tomorrow. Are you... Good day. We are not with the trade caravan. Oh. Well, welcome then. How can I help you? We would like to speak with the mayor, if he is available. She is available and you found me. Ah. Apologies. Not to worry. My name is a bit unusual. How can I help you folks? We were sent to inquire after a request for a certain relic of Sir Astra. Ah, I show her the writ. She picks it up and reads it and says, yeah, yeah. So things got a little complicated. Paladin St. Astra's grandson, Owen, is the townsmith. And he insists that he does not want the crypt opened. And we have been negotiating with him every day, but he's pretty insistent. By what avenue is he claiming that right? Well, he doesn't have a right, but we're a small town, and he's the grandson of a saint, so, I mean, you know, we... Does he consider it a family heirloom? No. he He's under some impression you know what, you should talk to him. He, he'll he explain it, but he thinks it's dangerous to open it. Oh. I mean, unless he's chained himself to the door of it, then let's just go and get it. He is not, no. He's at the smithy. To be clear, in your town, this writ gives me the right, correct? That is the law, yes. You are here to retrieve it. You can. It is yours to take. I was just explaining why we have not complied. Understood. Why have you not answered the writ with the difficulty? Well, mostly because I don't want Owen to get in trouble. He's a nice man, great community member, a great contributor. He's 
he's the smith. He actually ensures our militia is fully armed and armored. We can't really get along without him. So I was hoping that we would find a diplomatic solution, and it has taken us about three weeks, and I have not found it yet. Why have you not just opened the crypt anyway? Well, because I greatly respect Owen's contribution to this city, and I don't know how well we would do if he decided to leave. Then we will make it so that when the crypt is opened, it does not reflect poorly on the town. I would appreciate that, honestly. If you can maybe tell people I objected, I would really appreciate that. You clearly do. Thank you. May your bounty be boundless. Yes, and uh, she looks at your axe and says, and may you always find yourself on the right side of the law. <laughs> you always, always do. will. <laughs> <laughs> do we talk to Owen or do we break into this crypt? To keep the story correct, I think we go straight to the crypt. All right. Yeah, he may be able to tell us why he thinks it's dangerous, but also, you know, it, it could only complicate things, too. That would be the wise move, to find out what he thinks the danger is. Come on. <laughs> now let's go straight to it. His history check for thoughts on what this danger could be? Go ahead and rule it. I mean... We know a little bit about the uh, the history of the town now, so I, I have some guesses. <laughs> I have some guesses, too. It's, I've scored a 20. 20. The, your best guess is that it is possible that there may still be some undead locked somewhere that were not destroyed. It seems unlikely. It's been 80 years. Well, but the undead don't get old and die. <laughs> no, no, they don't. So well, we've got you with us. You're a holy woman. We'll be fine. Creedon, you're looking a little worse for wear because of our travels. Do you need rest first? I think I'm okay. Uh, it's mostly just my my hair that looks so bad. It does look bad. I know. I know. I, I look awful. No, thank you. I thought the young people said bad as a good thing. No? Well, maybe you're thinking of ill. You know, like my hair looks oh, it, ill. It looks ill. <laughs> <laughs> yes, your hair looks diseased. <laughs> Welcome to Midroll, and this is going to be World Generation, but this is step two. So if you recall... My last mid-roll about world generation, you should have themes that define the big ideas that make up your world. Now for factions. A world needs conflict so that our heroes have something to work towards or against. So now we make factions, or groups of people or creatures who share a particular motivation or philosophy. For advanced moves, you can make more than one set of factions. In the simplest form, a campaign will have your players working for one faction against another faction. But as you gain more experience running games, giving the characters options to choose from and letting them muddle through their choices while the factions respond to their actions creates an incredibly deep and dynamic world with real consequences for player character actions. For the first campaign of Kirtan Suffering, I made three groups of factions. The historic power of fairies versus vampires, the modern and local politics of royal houses, and the modern and distant politics of fairy courts, which didn't end up coming up much. I gave each group a two-sentence description, 
a distinguishing characteristic or theme and a high-level mission in this world. So, for example, House Pornino is a conservative group of honorable knights tied to the local church. They're known for their horses and provide the kingdom's only real source of transportation as their business and source of income. They oppose fairy packs, bargains, and magic, and seek to overthrow fairy power from the world by uniting the mortals in worship of the gods. Because my main theme was dark fairy tale, they were green knights, green knight paladins with a long history of working with fairies, and because my other big theme was political intrigue, they were not as honorable as they appeared on the surface. Alright, one faction down. The last point I'll make is that factions are tough to balance, so if you are a baby DM, I recommend starting with two or three. The more you have, the more real your world can be, but you don't want to have more than you can reasonably introduce to your players slowly enough for them to learn about them, and you don't want so many involved at once that your players get confused. As you build factions, put a lot of thought into how the characters will learn about the factions, and then become familiar with their goals so that they can make their choices. So you head to the graveyard. It's beautiful. It's immaculate. It looks like the whole town comes out here to trim the grass and leave flowers and keep the headstones up. It stretches for a long ways, and it has a couple of mausoleum structures. They're not big. They're very small, but they poke out of the ground in a few places. One of them has a large statue of a big disc with the sun coming off of it that forms the door. Strong guess that is probably Astra's tomb. <laughs> okay. Is it locked? Well, when you get up there, the sun portion of it is actually two really big rocks, stone structures just leaning against each other. It doesn't appear to lock. But it would be difficult to open. Well, good thing we have a big, strong <laughs> barbarian with us. That would be an athletics check, strength-based, for Xeris, if you would like to just Hercules this thing open. We'll start there. I like simple solutions. Simple problems require simple solutions. <laughs> or simple machines, if this fails. 19. Before he does that, can I use the Eyes of the Grave feature? You have to tell me what it does. I magically sense any undead within 60 feet. You have no sense of undeath, but there is a sense of unease. Hmm. Something is not as it should be here, but you don't sense undeath yet. Okay. As he starts to struggle with these stones to move them, Boulain looks at Creedon and says, Form up. I believe there is something around. I'll pull out my wand. <laughs> so with a 19, you heave one half of this sun, and it does appear to be designed to roll in a trough structure so that it stays here, and you have now opened it. It looks like it was probably closed with rope and several people, but you managed to off-balance it enough that it finishes its roll, and you now have a half-open door. On the inside, it's a, it's a small plain room. There's a sarcophagus, and there's a this beautiful silver-inlaid script that runs in a big circle around the sarcophagus, and jammed into the ground is this gorgeous gold-plated rod with an emblem of a sun on top of it. And smack in the middle of that circle is the sarcophagus. 
Is the script legible from my current position? Roll Arcana. Arcana? <laughs> Eight. Eight. Can I also try that? It's legible, but you can't read it. You don't recognize what this is. All right. Anyone who would like to roll Arcana can try to read it. For reference, my languages are Celestial and Abyssal. Yeah. Okay. It's not those. Minor common and Elvish. I got a 21. I rolled a three. Okay. Claire, uh, Creedon, actually, you recognize this. Th these are not, it's not a language in the traditional sense. These are arcane runes that run around the outside of this. And with a 21, that is an inscription that is akin to a spell you've heard of, but cannot cast, called Magic Circle Against Evil. Mm. You can tell with a 21 that it is inwardly facing so it's basically a spell that keeps something in that is bad i was just about to ask if it's a keep in or keep out okay it's a keep in spell i'll relay that information hmm. and the rod is within the perimeter of the circle as well it's jammed into the circle itself so basically the circle mm. comes out, is drawn out from the... the so rod. the rod is part of the circle. Yeah, that's a fair, fair interpretation. So, do we want to do this cleverly or straightforward? What would you have in mind for clever? Let's assume for a second that there's evil kept within the circle that still remains. I think that is a fair assumption. I mean, we can probably run back out. Well, I don't even want to go in there for that. Let's assume also that the, the entity is undead. That means that we're better off fighting it out here, if we have to engage it at all. We could try the good trick of tying a rope to the rod, standing outside the crypt, <laughs> pulling the rod to us. Genius. We'll probably break the circle, but hopefully whatever's in there will at least have to come to us in the daylight. Ooh, I don't know about breaking the circle though i do not believe we can remove the rod without breaking the circle are you going to attempt to replace the boulders before anything comes out that that wasn't my intent if something is in there we should not seal it away for someone else to deal with i suppose you are right about that very well i have completely forgotten what my character's voice sounded like i'll relearn it i'll come it up come just up reinvent it again. it's only two sessions in you, you gotta listen to the to the previous recording yeah <laughs> i think at the end of the day we have to take this rod with us like that is what we are here for and we know that however we choose to remove it is probably going to unleash something i mean i love the easy ways so yeah <laughs> but let's do it tie up around the rod. I would like to ready an action before you pull it out to cast Eldritch Blast on any creepy crawlies that we see yeah. if we pull it out. Uh, sim similarly, Boulain will prepare a sacred flame. Well, I will pull it out then. Robert Zerus gives it a tug. It catches a little bit, but then immediately sort of plucks loose and slides across the floor to rest outside in the broad daylight at your feet. The crypt is... Really quiet. Step up to the door. Well, that was easy. Are we sure that this is legit? Can we inspect the rod? I had not thought about it being a counterfeit rod. 
Roll me Arcana. I'll watch the door. Oh, I got a two. It looks legit to me. I got an 18. A two is sufficient to know that you need to attune this to even begin to understand what it does. An 18, you have seen similar devices like this crafted. It has two functions. You can carry it as a rod, and it will cast magic spells. It would be better if you attuned to it. You would then know like how much it can cast and what it can cast. It also has this second use, where it instead turns its charges into a sort of prolonged magical battery for this effect. You have disconnected it. What that means is it has used its charges for the day. Mm. So even if you attune to it, you would not be able to use it until tomorrow. All right. Lulane says this could be a useful object in a day or so. It is useless for the day now. Do you see anything, Zerus? Not yet. So in the mausoleum, there's a sarcophagus and stone, right? Was what it was? It's a, and it's a stone sarcophagus, although... You start to hear a little scratching sound. What was that? I have a larger concern. Do you have the ability to sense the presence of undead? You did, right? Uh, Boulaine does, yes. What, what's the range on that? 60 feet, yes. Walk 60 feet away from this so it's not near perception range and try it. All right, eyes of the grave. As an action, open your eyes. Until the end of your next turn, you know the location of any undead within 30 feet of you that isn't behind total cover. The sense doesn't tell you anything about the creature's capability or their identity. Yeah, it's very much like the paladin thing, which is useless through doors or ground. Mm. I don't know how Nate would play it, but the concern I'm trying to get at is maybe whatever presence or power this was keeping in was a linchpin of more problems. It is entirely possible. Okay, she's going to go about 60 feet away and use this sense and then go a little further away. You do not sense any undead okay. from 60 feet away from the from the mausoleum. Okay. Within 60 feet? Within 60 feet, you sense something, yes. Okay. There is the presence of undead, but you can't seem to pinpoint it. Right. Can you tell a quantity? I think as I was reading that, it, you would get a quantity. You can detect one thing right now. Okay. All right. She comes back and says, there is definitely something undead inside that mausoleum. Good. Good. Nowhere else. We expected that. Not That's not good. good. <laughs> that's as expected. As expected. Yeah. Okay. That's fair. So at this point, it's been 10, 15 minutes. Any change in what's going on inside the crypt? Something does change. It's been about 10 minutes, and you do finally see the sarcophagus shift. Just the lid of it lifts very slightly and then shifts slowly off. You have lots of time to react to this, though. I feel like as soon as Creedence saw it shift, she would kind of panic shoot her Eldritch Blast. I don't expect it to hit anything, because... It's still in a stone sarcophagus, but I think that she would shoot it. What is your passive perception? Oh, uh, only 10. Yeah, when you fire that off, it, it doesn't hit anything. Uh, you get a little jumpy. Does a little bit of damage, like a little scorch mark. Leaves a little heart-shaped. You shoot hearts, right? Yeah. <laughs> a little lipstick-colored heart smashes <laughs> into the sarcophagus. It's too bad you didn't see a face. You can get him right in the kisser. <laughs> 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 
Boulaine would will wait until she sees something to ca- uh, cast her sacred flame. So this this creature sort of stands up and it it wobbles, and you are seeing a skeleton. It is wearing some sort of burial robe that is truly ancient and destroyed, and it looks towards you with hollow eyes and a blank expression. And there's just a little bit of sunlight streaming in, and it promptly cowers back away from it. How close is it to the door? It's about 20 foot by 20 foot long. So, I mean, it is actually sizable for a mausoleum of this era. There's not a lot of space, so it's probably 10 feet in from the door, trying to get 15 feet into the door. A distance you could easily close. Can I cast my cantrip at it? You can! It needs to do a dex save on that. Its dex saving throw is a 12. That is the DC. (laughs) It does not take any damage. Your flames sort of spark off the side of the coffin as it is stumbling away. You hit where it was and not where it is. Are we in initiative order now, or can we just do do stuff? The monster isn't going to do anything but back away from you for the moment, because it can't seem to enter the sunlight. Mm. You can do whatever you wish. I would like to use my bonus action of my telekinetic ability uh, to try to shove the creature. I can move them either five feet toward or away from me. Mm. And they have to make a strength saving throw and beat a 13. I'm trying to pull it towards so that I can get it into the sun. Mm-hmm. You you yank on it and it, it proves to be just a little too strong. It's sort of stuck behind the sarcophagus lip. I'll go ahead and drop the axe and rush in. So it's t- about 20 feet away from me? It, it's about 20 feet away from you at this juncture. It's in the back corner behind a sarcophagus. Okay, close to 20 feet. I'll rage. Okay. And then I'll grapple it. Give me an athletics roll. Yes. Uh, I have advantage because I'm raged. Absolutely. And 18 is my score. Uh, It rolls against you and generates a six. So you grab it and you have control of this grapple. I will say you can drag it five feet back towards the light. Yeah. That will be your turn for the moment. And because you are in the crypt, that will start an initiative. So everybody, please give me an initiative. Ugh, this dice is immediately going to jail. Seven. Thirteen. Zerus also got a thirteen. Skeleton has a ten. Mumble, mumble, mumble. Nothing to see here. <laughs> uh, okay, so the thirteens are first. Do you mind if I go first? Yeah, go ahead. I move it into the sunlight. Okay, uh, go ahead and give me another athletics roll for this turn. Twenty-two. Yeah, okay. It generates a six again. So you pull it, and pull it 15 more feet, which is solidly into the sunlight, basically outside of the mausoleum at this point. It starts to wither almost. Like it's just, it's like the power is being seeped out of it. The bones are starting to slunch. 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 That, that, is, that is totally a word. It's starting to sort of slouch and hunch. <laughs> A couple of its toes and fingers just literally fall off. Like, the magic holding it together cannot compete with sunlight. It has disadvantage on everything it tries to do, and you're not sure what it will try to do at this juncture. Mandy, I believe Boulain was the other 13? Yep. She's gonna she's gonna hit it with the Sacred Flame again. It has disadvantage on its saving throw because it is in sunlight. Uh, it generates an 18 with disadvantage, which is unexpected. Fuck! <laughs> 
you you fire some light at it or some some flames off at it and they just sort of dance around the shoulder and kind of don't really impact the creature a little lame and that is going to bring us to the tens so the skeleton for its turn is going to try to push loose of Zerus and flee back into the crypt. So Zerus, I need another athletics check to maintain control of this grapple. It is going to use acrobatics to try to escape you, but it has disadvantage, which means it generates a 19 and a 5. 21. Yeah, okay, so it, it is struggling against you and cannot go anywhere. Meanwhile, Zerus, you are in the light. Always. The shadow that is being created by this skeleton seems to come to life and try to touch you. Moves sort of separate from the skeleton. It seems to also be dwindling in this light. It's going to try to touch you. It's going to try real hard. A nine to hit you is insufficient. Correct. The shadow breaks loose from the skeleton, leaving it shadowless. And flees back into the crypt, into the darkness. And that brings us to Claire. I will, I think just Eldritch Blast, the undead, the, the Xeris is grappling. Oh my god. Oh, so many twos. Well, that's a seven <laughs> to hit. No, it's not quite going to do it. You fire in between the rib cage, and just the little heart missile goes where its heart was going to be, but then passes through it because it has nothing there. Is that shadow also within 30 feet? It is within 30 feet, but it's really hard to see now that it has moved back mm. into the darkness. I'm thinking I could attempt to telekinetic it too. You can give it a shot. Uh, yeah, why not? I have a bonus action. Roll Let's me it. perception. Oh no. To try to pick it out of the darkness. The DC is 14. How'd you do? 19. I have nothing to add to perception. This is like maybe my only character that just... You yank it back into the light on your turn. Uh, that is going to bring us back to the top of the initiative with Xeris. I will throw the skeleton forward five feet. Just end the grapple, tossing it forward. As my interact with object, I'll pick up my axe off the ground. Mm -hmm. And I will I will chop at the skeleton. Okay, roll to hit. Nope. Uh, seven, yeah. Man, level one, guys, is tough. <laughs> <laughs> you swing an axe at it, and it clatters sort of into the bone, but the angle's all bad and just sort of bounces off the ribcage. That is going to bring us to Boulain. Boulain is going to cast... Guiding Bolt. She's pulling out the big guns. Well, her cantrips keep getting dodged, so... So we haven't hit the shadow at all. No, it is in the light, though, so it's really easy to see right this second. Right. And it seems to be suffering, too, in the light? Oh, yeah. No, it does not appreciate the light at all. Okay. Okay, she is going to cast Guiding Bolt on the shadow. Fifteen. That it's Yay! 16. A hole of sunlight rips through the chest of this creature, and it dissipates into nothing as if it never existed. One down. <laughs> uh, that brings us to the skeleton. The skeleton is, having been shoved back, Zerus, you're really kind of in his way. It claws at you twice, although it is really struggling to even move in the daylight. It has disadvantage. 
first swing could hit at a 22. However, oh, a 20. You get clawed. Take three points of piercing damage from Pokey Pokey Bones scraping you. All right, I will take half that for rage resistance. Just take one. Okay. You have a little scratch on your arm. <laughs> Got it. How irritating. <laughs> it makes him really mad. <laughs> Creedon. I am going to Eldritch Blast it. Okay. This dice is doing me well. 23 to hit. That's very hit. Six force damage. Okay. That is actually the first successful hit on the skeleton. <laughs> Several ribs just sort of fall out of it onto the ground. Some of the uh, power holding it together clearly fades. It is struggling to stay in one piece. And that is going to bring us back around to the top of the initiative. Zerus. I will try to finish it off. See how we do on this one. You got this. That's a 17. That hits. And then I've rolled damage as well. That's going to be 7 damage. You hit it uh, mightily. That finishes it off. Please describe your coup de gras. I bring the axe down across its, across its shoulder and neck area, the clavicle, shattering bone as it passes through the skeleton. Your sword pulls something off this creature as you're pulling it through it. Uh, or sorry, your axe. Mm -hmm. Ew. A small silver amulet clatters to the ground at your feet. Nice. Hey, that was some really good teamwork. <laughs> well done. We did all right. I'll pick it up. Is there any iconography on it? Yeah, that is a holy symbol of the Radiant One, the god of the sun. On the back of it is inscribed for Astra. Did they? Did this person have a personal relationship with Astra, or is that more of a general for Astra? I'm asking the historians here. Roll knowledge history. I think that's a 15. So as as we discussed previously, Astra is like the favorite name mm. to give children in the kingdom of Astrakar. You think the owner of this amulet's first name was probably Astra. Any objections to me holding on to this for now? No, not at all. It's not quite my style. <laughs> Boulain is going to kneel by the skull of the downed skeleton and remove one of its molars. Hey, hey, Boulain. Yeah. Do you can can you do your sense thing again? Like, or is that it? I don't know. You could stuff a bunch of bones in there. <laughs> she says, "Unfortunately, I can only do that so many times a day." Let's put this back to rest as best we can. I start gathering up bones mm -hmm. and moving them back. Boulain will help him because this is her specialty. <laughs> yeah, go ahead, Boulain. Give me a knowledge religion roll. One. Uncharacteristically, she knows nothing here. <laughs> well, you know how you are supposed to lay a person to rest of this particular faith, and you go through the process again. They're essentially interred. You don't have to do a lot of things because it's already bones. Put them back in the shape that they're supposed to be. <laughs> Roughly humanoid shape. <laughs> Can I roll a knowledge arcana or something? I'm curious about that that shadow thing. I don't know what that would be. Knowledge religion would actually be the most appropriate role for mm. knowledge of this type of undead creature. I ask Boulain if she knows anything about that weird shadow thing, because I didn't pay attention in those classes. <laughs> okay. 
Oh, that's better. 16. That's why I'm asking you to roll it. Elaine says, let me think, and she rolls a 16 in her head. <laughs> okay, you, you know what has happened here. So it's very strange, because typically malicious things can raise the undead, and people who die in particularly horrible ways can sometimes come back as undead. Both of these things are vehemently against your religion. You work very hard to prevent these outcomes. Mm-hmm. A shadow is another kind of undead. It is created by injecting negative energy into it. It is much harder to create. It either requires a very powerful caster or direct exposure to a, a source of power from the realm of the dead. It's really unlikely to be in this spot. So extrapolating from that knowledge... It- would it be fair to draw the conclusion that after Astra died, someone infused his corpse with this energy? That is a 100% fair assumption. Okay. Freaky. Boulain frowns, and she says, the level of unnatural circumstances here leads me to believe that someone infused our Saint Astra with some kind of negative power in order to make the shadow monster possible. Who that might be, I do not know. After we've arranged the bones in the sarcophagus and replaced the lid, she takes out a very small travel brazier. <laughs> she sets it on top of the sarcophagus and she lights it and she she says a long string in Elvish and then she holds the tooth up that she took out and she drops it into the brazier and lets it burn for a minute and then she turns it out and then dumps the tooth out on top of the sarcophagus because teeth don't actually burn. Wow, that was beautiful. She makes <laughs> she makes her offering to the silent judge and and at the end of it she touches she she has a hole in her armor right at the cleft of her throat and there's a tattoo she has under there and you can you can see it through the armor and it's it's a raven's head it's part of a larger tattoo and she touches that at the end and does a genuine genuflection tactical armor holes says yes tactical armor holds because <laughs> that's her religious symbol so she has to touch that when she when she casts spells uh, she looks at Zerus and says i do not know if we have someone else to seek out here but this was a very large dark deed that was done hmm. can i investigate around the that was my thought also yeah, anybody who wishes to go into the crypt and investigate, please roll investigation. I wish to go behind Zeros. <laughs> I also wanted to know what, if anything, was in the sarcophagus aside from the corpse that rose out of it. When you look down, it looks like they buried Paladin Astra in very simple garbs. Is in keeping with what you would expect from a person devout to the sun god. The sun god is a, is a god of leadership but specifically a god of, like, ethical leadership, whereas Brother Ambition is more of a accumulating of power kind of god. All right. Uh, yeah, investigation on to see if there's any kind of clue. Ooh, damn, my dice is rolling fire. 19, but behind Zerus. <laughs> I rolled an 11. So. <laughs> I'm peeking my, out from behind you. My 11 is definitely insufficient. Zerus and Bulane, this is a very plain gravesite. Most interesting thing is solidly this like silver inlaid kind of magic circle against evil around the floor. Claire 
Credence spots something a little odd. There is a change in the stonework right where the base of the sarcophagus touches the floor. You suspect that underneath that sarcophagus there is secret passage. Some kind of like cementing or claying work that is sealing something off that is lower than this mausoleum. I think there's something down here. Look at this weird stonework. <laughs> huh. Can I like poke Wait. around to see if a stone like is a button? <laughs> if you want to get a better look, you will have to move the sarcophagus, but it is not attached to the floor. It's just fucking heavy. Uh, yeah, I was going to say, how easy is it to move this sarcophagus? <laughs> well, I am in favor of figuring out what's under the sarcophagus. It may be an anathema to the Raven Queen and should be dealt with. There was that kid that we decided not to speak to that really didn't want this to be opened. I mean, maybe he knew something and, you know, that I think it's worth looking into. It, it absolutely is. However, my hesitation is we're all tired now. I'm doing fine. It's been a long day. <laughs> this is true. Perhaps we should go into town. Yes. Perhaps we should go into town and find Astra's grandson and ask him some questions. Well, we did break the seal here, though. Is it safe to walk away? <laughs> we could camp here, just <sighs> in case. You're not interested in sleeping in a crypt? <laughs> Well, when you put it like that, it does sound a lot cooler, but it's also pretty cold, and I don't really trust you on guard anymore. She stares daggers at Boone. <laughs> you had a I chicken could, I sit could not on me. know that the snake ostrich was going to try to snuggle with you. <laughs> it was promptly dealt with. It was. Thank you, Zerus, for that. Boone says, well, here is a thought. Two of us could stay... And one of us could go into town and try to find Astra's grandson. I mean, I, I am very tired and my hair looks terrible, but I am at full strength, essentially. So if there is danger here, perhaps I should stay. I feel comfortable navigating the situation with the nephew, with the, uh, with the ancestor. Grandchild. Grandchild, yeah. Grandchild. Who is now an adult. Yeah. And a blacksmith. I know enough about the radiant one, but will you, do you? So you two will stay here. We can stay here. I feel like we could close the door, rest, and come back later. There are two very large, very heavy barriers in the way. I believe that would be wise, whether we stay here or not. But it is entirely possible that whatever is beneath this mausoleum is powerful enough to get past stone. At this point, how long until dusk? It's like 3 p.m. Not enough time to rest. Well, is it daylight savings time, or is it standard? <laughs> did, we lose, did we lose an hour <laughs> of our lives today? <laughs> how, how much sunlight do, you have, do we have left, like, hours-wise? 7 p.m. dusk. Yeah. It's like four hours. We, we probably have enough time to go have that conversation and get back before dark. We, we need to return before dark. I also see better in the dark. My my concern became, if there are shadows in there, like the one we saw, I don't know that they care about a door. Mm, that, Very likely they do not. That is a good point. Which means the daylights are only defense. Yes. 
Yeah, and I can't really see in the dark very well, so I will need some light if we go down there, probably. I have torches. Do you not? Oh, yeah. I mean, I do, but ah. I'm just mentioning that, that I can't see in the dark. All right. Are we splitting up or are we all heading to talk to the grandson? Let us go talk to the grandson. It'll be fine. We can close the door for the day and we just need to come back here before nightfall. Agreed. We can close the door. And that is a wrap. Special thanks to Todd Ferguson and My Pet Machine for our tunes and Julie at Elaborate Flight of Fancy for our logo. Don't forget to leave us a rating and review. How will our local blacksmith react when they find out our heroes flagrantly ignored their warnings? Find out next time on Carrot and Suffering, a D&D Odyssey.